Imagine you're going for a walk for just a moment, and bearing in mind what Dr. Piper has just said, but imagine you've gone for a walk and you're on Third Avenue, and as you're walking along, you, you see on the sidewalk a hand just laying there on the sidewalk. And you think, well, that's, that's awful and revolting and disturbing. And, and so you walk around and you walk a few more steps and maybe a block and there's an eye laying on the sidewalk. What is going on? What's happened? Is it a horror movie? Stephen King came to Sturgeon. You walk a little further and there's a foot. We would feel revolted. We would go, there's something wrong with this. These are members of a body and somehow they've been separated from the body to whence they belong. So something is wrong with this picture. Yet in the illustration that Paul provides in the scriptures, and he does that, by the way, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, if I could draw the parallel of Paul's, when, when a member of the body is separated from the body and, and not a part of the whole, there's something wrong with that. And it should grieve the body as a whole to say it can't function when it's been separated from that to which it belongs. It's become ineffective. It cannot contribute to the function, which means there's a body somewhere, filling in the blank, missing a hand, foot, and eye. How effective is a church when it's missing people? that are supposed to be committed and dedicated and identifying there? How effective is a body when it's missing pieces that are supposed to be there? Yes, we can make accommodations, and yes, we can go out of our way to facilitate, but there's still going to be something missing, which could be stronger if it were complete. Now, Paul's words were this, for just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. Now, if you are the body of Christ, you are individual members of it. Each and every one of us belong to the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we're talking about today really is a part of our continuing series on the year of belonging. And what the point I would like to get across today now I'm going to try to get across, is that you should be a member of the body of Jesus Christ, not just in the big C, which is to say the church universal, the church which is made up of every believer across time and geography who has ever given their heart and their life to Jesus Christ in response to the drawing and the calling of the Holy Spirit and made Jesus Lord and Savior in their, in their lives. That's the big C, the church universal, the exciting church which one day will all be gathered in heaven and stand at the great feast of the Lamb and the billions who have called him Lord and Savior over history will gather in one voice to say, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and every knee will bow, every tongue confess, and the voice of the saints will be lifted, and, and in that moment will be the, the, the completion, the filling, the consummation of the church, of the body of Jesus Christ. That is an exciting concept to come. But in the place where we are now, we are part of the small C, Church of Jesus Christ, the local gathering of believers who are part of that will-be-gathered crowd one day, who to come together to give of time, talent, and treasure, to encourage, to learn together, to love together, to serve and, and sacrifice together. And we, together, as we learn and, and admonish and encourage we are the local church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Sturgeon Bay, what that essentially looks like is on any given 
uh, day of worship, whether for some that's Saturday, for most it's Sunday. It means that that over here on on at uh, at, uh, at at First Assembly, you're, you're going to see and sorry, and sorry, the Family Worship Center. You'll see uh, Dr. Mark has got a, a group of people who are gathered to worship and to sing and to be encouraged and to edify in that local body. And and Pastor Corey and and Pastor James are are leading churches where people have come together in that local body and expression of the body of Jesus Christ to give of time, talent, treasure, love, and encouragement in that place and in this church where uh, Pastor Charlie, Pastor Mike, Pastor Matt, Pastor Shannon are here to make sure that in this place you gather as the people of Jesus, the body of Jesus, as, as we equip and we disciple and we pool resources and we share time, talent, treasure to edify and to encourage, to admonish as necessary. This is the body of Jesus Christ. What possible reason could exist to say, well, I'm a member of, you know, Jesus's family, but I don't want to be connected to a body. I just want to be that rogue hand on the sidewalk, eye on the sidewalk, foot, that revolting, horrific thing that isn't attached to the body to be effective and supported and encouraged and empowered. I just want to be independent and off on my own because, you know, that's how I roll. Can't fence me in. That is an inconsistent with Scripture point of view. And what I hope is that by the end of today, most of you would say, I don't want to be a part of that horror. I don't want to be a part of that aberrant concept. I want to be a part of a body. And here's a beautiful thing. There is no perfect church. Did you know that? Are you, are you aware? Now, that, sound, that sounds like a joke to some people, but every church has its flaws. Every church has people that are imperfect, and, and they will make what's perfect imperfect because we're imperfect people. We tracking? So if you're looking for the perfect church to wait and join, you will never join. Because if it was perfect, as soon as you joined, you're going to mess it up because you ain't all that good. Fact. Listen, you're made to be a part of a family. Churches do our very best to look exactly like the family of Jesus Christ and to perfectly uh, exhibit what it is to be completely redeemed in Jesus. And we do that with varying degrees of effectiveness. Now, I want you to hear Jesus' words. This is in the book of Matthew where it's recorded. Jesus is talking to a large group of people, not just his apostles, but his disciples who were gathered. So historically, we're thinking there's somewhere around three to 5,000 people are about to hear what Jesus is saying. Now, it's not a church yet. You understand that? When Jesus came to do his earthly ministry, he not yet established the church. What he's establishing at this point are kind of, this is the way it's going to look. This is what typifies the church to come. This is what my people will conduct themselves like. And he says this, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated in a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather in a lampstand. It gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the church are the light. The church are the salt. Now, for those of you who are like out of syntax, did you go to English class? The church is, but the church are. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And that commitment, that identity makes us one. 
And that's what unites us, even where we have differences in opinion, in approach, in likes. Even, even if we disagree on some areas, those things that unite us are all in Jesus. And that's what makes us the church of Jesus Christ, the people of Jesus Christ. So what, what would keep us from being members, what would keep us from attaching to and committing to a local church? Well, let's first of all talk about what some norms are and how we got to where we are. Recent studies in the United States of America uh, were done between uh, 1992 and 2017. So the data reports from 93 to 2018, if you're following statistics and how they work. These are pretty much up to the second as far as data and statistical analysis go. And here's what we find. The question's asked, are you a member or regular attender of a local church? This is asked of Americans, okay? Estados Unidos. We're not talking about people out in other countries. We're right here in our own. And so what's being asked is this. In the United States of America, are you a member or regular attender of a church? And what we found is back in 1992 to 93, 70% of people said yes. In the U.S., in 1992, 3%. 70%. 30% of them said, no, I'm not. I'm not a regular attender and I'm not a member. In 2017 into early 2018, when the study concluded and the results were, were, were all uh, assimilated and brought together, we hear this. 50% of people in the United States of America say, yes, I'm a member of, of a church. And 50% say, no, I'm not. It's actually 46, 51, but you'll live. And so in these statistics, what we're finding is in our country, people who say they're committed and attending is going down, and those who are proud to say they're not is going up. Underlying causes can be discussed in another sermon by somebody smarter than me, but here's what I'd like to draw to your attention. It's pointing out this difference between nominal Christians and committed Christians. It's drawing out this difference or exposing this distance that, this difference that between people who go to church who identify with the church, there's a large number who are only nominally committed. Nominally, nominally. What, is that, what does that really get across to? Well, I wanted to make you a few statements, and you, you ask yourself if you like the idea, if this sounds good to you. Get it? Kind of see how the rules work? You don't have to raise your hand and go, yay, I'm in, or no. Just, just think about it. If you want to groan, that'll be okay. So how many of you would like to have your vehicle taken to a nominal mechanic? You can respond. It's okay. I shouldn't shut everybody down. Okay. How many of you uh, would like to engage in nominal marriage vows? Sound good? Some of you are like, yeah. No. no. These are commitments. Um, How about a nominal pre-flight safety check? Sound good? Aaron, where are you, man? Can we do that on your flight next time? Just a nominal check. It's probably fine. It's probably good. It's a 50-year-old plane. It's probably fine. How about a nominal health inspection at the restaurant? Sound good? You want to go eat there? No. How about a nominally skilled person works on your house where, where, where maybe the roof needs to be replaced? And you get a nominally skilled person comes to do it. That sound pretty good? Baxter, you loving that? Liz looked right at you when we said that. I don't know what that was about, but <laughs> something's up. How about a nominally qualified doctor? Sound good? I've got this pain. Yeah. Huh, I wonder what that means. Then why would we settle for nominal Christianity? Which, which, which is something that talks about your forever? No, seriously. It talks about your identity as it relates to your eternity. And so we say, ah, 
Eh, you know, I'm, I kind of go there. Let me back up and tell you an interesting fact. You remember this little uh, graph we looked at a minute ago? Unless you're terribly ADD, you should remember this. So this, and, and I am, and I remember it. So here we go. Listen, here's this graph. Here's what the question was when you break it all the way out. What does it mean to be a regular attender of a local church? Okay. What does that look like if you're a regular attender? Well, here's how they defined it in this Barna study. The question was, you attend, or the definition was a regular attender, a committed attender in this thing, is that you attend church at least 12 times a year. I know, some of you are like, that sounds good. Sounds about right. 12 times a year? That means you go once a month, and you get to skip two months because you got Easter and Christmas, Right? And so maybe Mother's Day. So now you can just skip all summer. And that's what it basically means to call something a member, a regular attender of a local body. I'm going to say wrong. I'm going to say that that's no good. I'm going to say if you're a member, if your identity, if your if your familiness, if your body, if what makes you who you are is a part of a local assembly, there should be the desire to be there as often as possible. Now, I'm a little bit of a realist, okay? Now, I'm a good Southern Baptist, and then here's what I figure. You should be in church 48 weeks a year. That's kind of how I was raised. Mom, what do you think? About right? About how you guys taught me? Grew up in my pastor's house. You should be there. In the tradition I grew up in, by the way, going to church on Sunday meant morning, Sunday school, and Sunday night church. Because if you didn't go to Sunday night church, then you clearly were not a committed disciple. And so that's the model I grew up in. Thank you, God, for release. But, but what I've come to understand is this. At least, at least on a regular basis, you should be around the people who are loving you, encouraging you, discipling you, supporting you, who are part of who you are that you identify with. This becomes your family. So let, let me explain just a couple more things that maybe, maybe help make this make a little more sense. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 13, when an individual is saved, converted as we say, they become a member of the body of Christ with all of the rights and responsibility that such an identity conveys. Okay, So when you say, this is where I'm locking in, I'm making the commitment to be a member here. A covenant member, this is my place, here's where I identify. There are rights and responsibilities that come with it. Rights, you get to vote on decisions that are made. Each year we, we, we vote on that budget. If we're going to hire a new pastor to come into the church, you need to be a part of voting for that. You know, if, if there's a major decision like a building's going to be built, which uh, uh, is it about time? Am I the only one realizing this right about now? Uh, we're kind of knocking on, on that door. When those times come, we're going to need to vote on that as a group, and we'll make that decision together. If somebody has to be removed from the church because something that's genuinely egregious and heinous for which they're non-repentant and we can't continue, we would need to take a vote and express a decision on that. That's what members do. Other things... We're able to support together, to give together, to work together, to study together, to disciple, to encourage. That's what it brings. And responsibilities mean when there's a need in the body, you need to be a part of that. If you have a need, that body's going to come around you and help support that. That's what it means to be a member. A lot of people figure, though, well, I just come here regularly, aren't I a member? No, no, you're, you're a consumer. Love you, but you're a consumer because here's what you're saying. I like this church and, and I kind of come here, but you know, it's kind of like Walmart or Target. <laughs> you know, if I'm, if I'm not digging the way things are going, I'll just go to this other one for a while. And so what that means is you can't be trusted and depended on. You know, you, you're here to take. You're not here to be a part and to identify. Because see, that's what identify really 
gets to. Check this out. Sociological statement. You like, you, anybody like sociology, cultural anthropology, things like that? Kind of fun. Do you have a Facebook account? Okay, then you're in. So watch this. Here's what it says. Increasingly in our fragmented culture, those things with which we associate are becoming identifiers. Not just to what we do or like. Say that last part. Okay, let's all do it together because some of you are like, I'm Lutheran, I'm not talking out loud. Here we go. They become not just what we do or like, but but who we are. There's a book I've recommended to you on several occasions. I've said it's exceptional. It's an extremely good book. It's actually an important book. And it's James K. Smith's book, You Are What You Love. And what this incredible reformed writer is getting across is the things that you've invested in, the things that you've put your love and your time and your passion, your commitment into, you've treasured into, that's who you are. It's not just what you love. That's who you are. And if that thing is taken away from you, here's what you lose. A sense of identity and self, right? Can, think about it. Don't point at anybody, but think about it for a second. If, if it's taken away, they lose who they are. How many of you were a boy in high school and got a car? Right. Motorcycle? Bike? PlayStation? It kind of defines you in a sense, right? Uh, This thing kind of made you who you are, and and you wore it like an identity. Okay, if you went to school in the 80s, this is the truth. Everybody else, just bear with me and trust me. I'm getting nothing from you right now. So imagine that's kind of who you were, and and if it was taken away, you lost something about who you were and how you identified. Does that at least translate a little bit? Okay. What Smith wants you to hear, and what I would want you to hear, and what I believe what Scripture is trying to get across to you, you will invest in the things that are the most important to you. You're going to invest of your time, your talent, your treasure, your identity, your love into that which is most important. Are you doing an inventory of your life right now? Are you thinking, what am I investing my time, talent, and treasure into? Can I give you a little revelation? There's these things called moths that are going to eat things that are fabric. There's this stuff called rust, which is going to eat your vehicle, especially if you drive a Ford. There's these, there's these, you know, whatever. There's this stuff called thieves, and they're going to come in and take the things that you want from time to time. There's, there's this thing called time that is going to pass and stuff that was fashionable and important, like, like, that fashion from 10 years ago or that Dayglo orange couch that you bought in the 70s, you know who you are, that time is going to pass and that's not valuable anymore. What lasts forever is God, God's love, and God's people. Remember? Okay. God, God's love, God's people. This lasts. If you don't invest in that, disappointment is a guarantee. You hear me? So what I'm asking you is, what do you love and what are you investing in? In, in? in the second chapter of Acts, let's go there and let's think about this. Nominal, sort of invested, sort of in, and then committed or devoted. Well, let's hear about that first church. What, what typified them? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed to the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and to break bread from house to house. They ate their food with joy and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved." 
Okay, now I had to do something in the first service, so I want to do it now. This is a pause symbol, right? You see on your phone the two little lines? We're going to hit pause for just a second. You got it? Okay. There's, there's something in Scripture when you read Scripture you need to understand. The first is that you'll sometimes read narratives, and the other times you will read normatives. So narratives, normatives. You guys familiar with these so far? I know some of our life groups have bumped into this. I know I've got at least one other pastor over here who knows exactly where I'm going, but I want you to listen. In a narrative, what it means is an extraordinary thing was happening. And in this narrative, they're going to talk about it because it was special and unique and, and it happened and you should hear it. In a normative, it means that every single person who was a part of it did this and every single one who attaches to it should have this as their own personal story. In a narrative, it means this is common to a large group, but not necessarily to every day, every single person. Got that part? In a normative, it means every single person, every single day, this should always be a characteristic of who they are. Here's the beauty of the second chapter of Acts, really the whole second chapter of Acts, is what it's going to do... Acts as a, as a book is, is Luke's attempt to make sure that we understand what the early church looked like. Now I want you to listen to these words again. They devoted themselves. Every day they devoted themselves to gathering in the temple and breaking bread house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. That's a Astounding. That's what the devoted church looked like. Does that look like the American church? Ooh. You see, if we compare the normative of the American church to the normative of the Acts church, if we compare the narrative of things that were happening within that body to the American church, is that happening every day in the American church? We kind of fall short. Now take the pause off for just a second and let's, let's hear this. In the church, in the American church, nominalism seems to be more of the normative uh, narrative than, than, than the narrative. So what's happening is typically we gather once a month. I'll come together once a month. Typically, I'll, be, I'll have this tepid, tacit, lukewarm attachment to my church. My normative story is that I'm sometimes there. The church as a whole has some things that's consistent for all Americans in our churches. And what I'm afraid to say is that we are making this tacit, tepid commitment to church membership and church devotion. I think we can do better. I think that the church on the corner of 12th and Georgia is called to be a bit more dedicated to who we are, a bit more identified with Jesus Christ, and a bit more committed to one another. Would you agree? Would you agree that it's beyond time in Door County for a church to stand up and say, we've got some work to do to look like the body of Jesus Christ, and I'm willing to be a part of that process? Would you agree it's time for that? Would you agree you're here because God's calling you to that? You got quieter each time. But would you agree that you have a role to play as a part, a member of the body of Christ? And would you agree with me in this? And then we can clap. Thank you. But would you agree with me in this, that the body is incomplete when there's people who have gifts and talents and abilities and times and talents, and, and they keep it to themselves rather than contributing to the body as a whole so we can be better and stronger and more effective together? Would you agree that's a true statement? Okay, now's where you guys can clap that we're starting that. Okay, I want, I want this for you. 
okay? I want this for this church. I want us to feel what it's like when the Holy Spirit fills this place and gives each one of us this passion to be a part of something exciting and revolutionary and impactful in a community. We are already, yes, there are 700-some people who say, this is my church, and they're a part of Sturgeon Bay Community Church. But on a weekend, there's 250 people in worship. What's that telling me? It means that I've got a tepid commitment to the church, but I kind of you know, if I get a better offer, <laughs> I'm not going to be there because, you know, I got a ball game or it's a movie I want to see or the boat, you know, the boat. It's, it's summer. I got to work. And we make a lot, of, a lot of excuses for not being a part of the body. But that body on the positive side for our church looks like this. We will gather on the weekends in the temple, as it were, and we will worship together. We will gather in homes and we will share meals together and we will study together as disciples. We will share the love of Jesus Christ with the community around us. And what I want our narrative to be is that all 700 some of us who do that would become committed members of this church. And even if I'm not in church every Sunday morning because life is life, I'm going to be committed to my membership and to my brothers and sisters here, whether that's in my life group, my home group, my disciple group, my men's group, my women's group, my serving in the life of this church, this giving, this being a part and identifying with it. I'm going to make that commitment so that my identity is in Jesus Christ and the body of Christ around him. How many of us are willing to say, I'm in? You see, don't, 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 I'm not trying to call people out, but I would want for all of us to say, I'm in. Absolutely no hesitation, I'm in. And that is what we're saying during the course of this year of belonging. Brothers and sisters, church membership is this. It is to fully commit oneself to an identifiable local body of believers who have joined together for the specific divinely ordained purpose of being the church. That's what we're saying. Remember, perfect church, do you know it? Have you seen it? Because I haven't. Every church has its fails, has its flaws, because we're human beings in a fallen world, and that's going to be the case. But I don't know of a better one right now, <laughs> at least from my point of view. So the biblical basis for church membership, a few things in view real briefly. Um, the example of the early churches, whether Antioch or the churches of Macedonia, whether uh, the church in Jerusalem or in Rome or, 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 or Alexandria... There is an example of being committed members and having some identifiable form of membership. The existence of the church governing structures points to the fact that there is something formal about being the church. Otherwise, what would you need governance for? You know, Piper was talking about, you can't kick me out. I'm not a part of anything. I just go here, Walmart, Target. The instructions around church discipline exist because there's something special about membership and being a part and egregious, continuing, ongoing, rebellious life uh, style sin must be dealt with. And if people are refusing to repent and to move away from a sin, then the body as a whole has to say, we have to remove you from that membership. Yeah, you can attend, but the special, beautiful picture of membership is not there for you. So some of that mutual edifying and building up and sharing together and doing together and fellowshipping together, you're going to be removed from that. Because this wickedness in your life, which is rebellious and egregious, is inconsistent with who we are. And we can't do that. 
And so do you have to have it? And then lastly, the thing in view is this exhortation to mutual edification in the church. So that would be examples we see in the Bible for that membership. And so what is membership itself? How is it defined? Let me give you four of about 16 of the things Scripture tells us. Uh, First of all, receiving instruction from God's Word together. So when Paul's giving instructions to young Pastor Timothy, he's saying, this is what you do. You study the Word together. Isn't it amazing that when one person reads a Scripture and another person reads a Scripture, they come together They bring beautiful perspectives of what they heard and what they saw. And when we do it together, not only do we mutually benefit from perspective, but we make sure that we're keeping it accurate, okay? And you don't have some crazy wild hair of an idea when you read a verse and got something that's totally inconsistent with the rest of the entire body of Jesus. Because really, if it's 99 to 1, the 1 is probably off base. Uh, Secondly, serving and edifying one another. Thirdly, participating in the ordinances, that's communion, that's baptism, and and it it also includes, in a sense, this dedication we did today, this dedicating to raise these children together in in wedding ceremonies where we gather to celebrate with members who are getting married and becoming a new home. We do that together. And finally, proclaiming the gospel together in our community so that when Sturgeon Bay looks to the corner of 12th and Georgia, they say, that's what a gospel community looks like. That's really fascinating. I wonder what's going on there. That's what the church does. So brothers and sisters at Sturgeon Bay Community Church, we simply say this, how do you become a member? Well, you become a covenant member, you commit to discipleship, and you invest in the life of the church through your time, your talent, and treasures. How do you do it? If you'll all look over your shoulders right back there to the back corner, you see Paul and Denise, they're waving at you right now. They're smiling, those people right there. That's how you do it. Right after the service, what I'm going to ask you this. If you'd like to be a part of making that commitment to say, for all its wonderful and even its failings, I'm going to bring myself, who God made me, and I'm going to commit here to this local church. And I'm going to say, this is where I'm going to plant my stake. This is where I'm going to grow and be planted. This is my place of commitment as a disciple of Jesus Christ to look like the Church of Acts here. You go back there, you see these folks, you're going to fill out a little card, and they're going to give you a little thing that looks like this. Well, not crinkled like mine is, but you're going you're gonna to know that on the first weekend in May, that first Sunday of May, there's a class called the 101 Belong class. You're going to sit in there for about three hours. You're going to learn what this church body is about and who we are and why it matters. You're going to fill out your membership commitment, and an elder is going to get in touch with you. They're going to sit down and chat with you, and that's the pathway to membership at this church. That's not hard. That's almost as easy as joining Costco. But it's so much more important because the commitment you make is the commitment to be edifying and edified, committed and committed to, to give and to receive, to love, to learn, to grow here. And that's what we're asking. I want to see your pastors, your elders want to see, your team leaders want to see this church have the maximum impact in our community for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one I think we're called to. And there's some brilliant days ahead. We've got some brilliant days behind us. But folks, we've got some brilliant days ahead. And I want you to be a part as covenant, fully committed members of Sturgeon Bay Community Church. Fair enough? Let's close in a word of prayer.